0: And we look to the Lord to really uh, minister to us. Let's bow for a move moment of prayer together before we go any further. Now, Father, we thank you for the opportunity of being together and to worship the God, the King of Heaven, the, the Lord of Glory, the Creator of Heaven and Earth, and our Redeemer and our Saviour. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us each one together here uh, or into this place. Lord, we thank you that we know that we come from many different arts and parts from many different circumstances and situations, different families, different identities. But, oh God, we identify with Christ here this morning. We identify with the Redeemer, the lover of our soul. We identify with the one who identified with us. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Thank you, Lord, for taking my sin and giving me your righteousness. Thank you, Lord, for taking my place on the cross and giving me your freedom. Thank you, Lord, for whom the Son sets free is truly free indeed. You have set us free, Lord, from the lusts of the flesh. Lord, you have set us free from the pride of life. You have set us free from the condemnation of sin and judgment. And, oh God, you have set us free to truly worship you in spirit and in truth. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray now, Lord, for the gracious enduing of the Holy Spirit, that he, the third person of the Trinity, the messenger of heaven, would descend now upon us, bringing that oil that you will pour upon the page, bringing that balm of Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul, to take away the scales from our eyes and cause us to see the loveliness of Christ. That we will leave this place today, Lord, not only changed, but a higher, a holier, a greater view of who Christ is. And so we pray for your help, Lord. We ask that you'll meet our need. For, Lord, we desperately need it in these desperately wicked days. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you've got a Bible with you or you're going to follow in the PowerPoint above my head, then I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. And I'm going to read from verses 22 to verse 33. I think I said so to someone this morning at the desk there it was going to be 32. But if you don't mind, I'm going to add an extra verse in verse 33 as well. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to Verse 33. And I've preached this recently in my own church, so anything I've said there, I think that you're worthy to hear it as well. And so, if you think I'm getting at you, I've said it to them, so I'm going to say it to you, so I'm getting at no one. But we're looking this morning at when you've got that sinking feeling. You ever have that sinking feeling? You ever feel like you can't go any further? When you can't get your uh, your, head, your, chin, your head above water? When you feel that the world is overwhelming you, and the things and the troubles and trials and difficulties of life are about to come down on top you. Whenever all hell is let loose against your walk with God, Do you ever feel as if you want to throw in the towel and just go back and run freely with the world? Well, uh, you're, you're, uh, you're amongst many because many feel like that. And we're looking at this little subject this morning and trust that the Lord will truly bless it to our hearts. Matthew chapter 14, reading from verse 22 to verse 33. And straight away Jesus compelled his disciples. He' get into a ship and go before him onto the other side, and when he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent the multitude away, he went up unto a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was boisterous or contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went on to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were stirred or troubled, saying, In It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straight away Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, don't be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, bid me or command me to come unto you on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was violent, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Folks, there are things which often happen to us, events that often occur in our lives, and events that often occur in others' lives that brings out either the best or the worst in them. And you begin to really see that person for who they truly are. When something nasty or something Dangerous or something difficult has occurred. You see things in them that you never knew was there, and you say, "I never saw that in him," or "I never saw. That. I never knew they were like that. I never knew they had the ability to be so harsh and so hard, so arrogant, so angry." You ever see anybody stomping with anger, where their face is raging with red and uh, red, and they're so opposed and so angry, so raging, they're out of control. You never saw it before. You see them then, and you view them in in a different light. Similarly, have you ever seen someone who came across a difficult situation, someone which needed sympathy and empathy? And along came an individual who showed generosity, compassion, and real concern, and you say, I never knew they were like that either. Seen something in that individual that I never knew was there. And you begin to see them, and you remember them, in a different light. Well, here's an event that shows us two people. One, the Lord Jesus, and the other, Peter, amongst others. And after we see Jesus in this event, we will never see him the same way again. Here's one who was not subject to nature or the laws of nature. But here's one, and the laws of nature were subject to him. He did something that no one ever imagined he could do. He walked on the water. That's why I can pray for people for healing. Because nature is not, he's not subject to nature. Nature is subject to him. He spoke a word into the tomb of Lazarus and he had to come out he rubbed some mud on a blind man's eyes and enabled him to see. Here is one that if you truly trust him and rely fully upon him and bring him into every difficult circumstance and situation, he has got full authority and ability to take control of that circumstance and that situation. This passage tells me that there's Nothing outside his power. There's no one outside his notice. There's nowhere outside his reach. No subject outside his jurisdiction. I loved some of the songs that we sang this morning. In fact, I loved every one of them. Some of them I'd never heard, uh, never heard before. Others have been singing for quite some time. And then there was the old standard, would you be free from your burden of sin? Well, when I was in the little bluegrass group we used to sing, I Saw the Light. Hank Williams sang it and uh, he was talking about how he'd seen the light of glory which was a paraphrase from Paul as, as he was then Saul on the road to Damascus and he says, I saw a bright light that made the noonday sun seem like a shadow in the brightness, the express image of his glory and his passion and his power. Well, here we're seeing Jesus Christ In his true character, the light of the world who attracts everyone who's living in darkness to comprehend him and set their focus on him. Truly we are blinded by this light of the Lord Jesus, his compassion, his care, his sovereignty over every circumstance and his authority in every situation. Don't we serve a wonderful saviour today, don't we? Don't we serve a saviour that we can bring every circumstance, every situation, every difficulty and every problem. Yes, and every heartache and every every problem and every disappointment. Listen, people will disappoint you. Life will disappoint you. Circumstances will disappoint you. But Christ never disappoints. He is faithful to the very end. Even though we're not faithful, he remains faithful. So we're blinded by the light here this morning. We're blinded by the light of one whose heart is filled with compassion and it wasn't nails that held him on the cross. It was his love for you and I. And how many times have you heard that? Oh, set your focus on Christ when you've got that sinking feeling. But here we've got another person here. We've got a man called Peter. Peter is the kind of man that we all kind of identify with, don't we? He's the person that acted before he put his brain in gear. He was always the one that had foot and mouth disease, if you know what that means. Before he thought about it, he put his foot in it. And there is Peter. And he's the one that we most identify with, isn't he? And circumstances had caused him to step out of the boat. But because he did so, he soon found himself in a spot of bother. He discovered, listen, he discovered that he was into something that was way over his head, way out of his realm, and way beyond his ability. I was preparing my heart this morning. I'm kind of in the midway through my holidays at the moment, that's why I don't always look this brown, of course. Uh, I've been away for a little while, and I kind of said to Andrew this morning, this is kind of like a jump start for me going back into the pulpit next Sunday in my own church, and and, and but I was thinking as I prepared my heart, it takes me a long time to prepare my own heart. It's not a much it's not a matter of of, of yes, the study's done during the week, but you prepare your heart on a Sunday morning to see what God wants you to bring out of that message. And I was thinking, you know, whenever we got into, got into God's salvation, remember it's not my salvation, it's God's salvation that I have. It's a supernatural walk. He doesn't set us into a set of series of steps whereby we we somehow manage to achieve into a status whereby we can now declare ourselves as being Christians. No, God's salvation is a supernatural salvation. It's not a set of steps to make me better. It's because he has done something that has transformed and changed my heart, and it begins to work its way out. That he absolutely and utterly transforms my life from the inside out. And the day you stepped into Christ, the day that you became a born again believer, you're you in something. You're into something that was beyond you. Not true. Salvation is not some human kind of steps. It's not, we, don't, we don't look at it rationally. Salvation is a supernatural experience of God in my life. Would there be anybody who would agree with that today? I mean, the changes that began to happen the love for God's word, the desire to reach out to the lost, the, the love for fellowship with God's people, the, the sense of, of fellowship that we can enjoy is something that begins to work within us, that begins to work out through us, and it begins to spread through others because it is God's salvation. We have no right to try to put man's slant on it just as the world is trying to put man's slant on, slant on God's order for the family. It was God's idea for marriage, by the way. God's idea a man's we have no right to tamper with that. A supernatural experience. Well, Peter's discovered that he's put himself, he's in a situation where he's way beyond himself. So let's put ourselves into Peter's skin. let's put ourselves into his shoes. let's transport ourselves from the comfort of the surroundings of this beautiful building, let us get ourselves into a boat into the Sea of Galilee. And let's see what the Lord will have to say to us. Because it might be that God is challenging every one of you or some of you. I hope and trust and pray he's challenging every one of us to stretch for the mark of the prize of the high calling. Because if you're not marching forward, you're going stale what I'm saying here? Not going forward. There's no such thing as standing still with the Lord. You go still. And it might be, brothers, brothers and sisters or brethren, it might be that God is challenging some folk in this church today to get out of the boat, to reach forward to apply something in your life, to do something for God or to stand up for God. Maybe some of you young men who are recently married, maybe God's challenging you to set up a family altar in your home and to bring those rebellious teenagers perhaps around the altar and pray with them. And you know that they're going to fight tooth and nail against everything that you want to do. But you want to bring godly Christian values into your home because the only opportunity you have with your children is between the age of naught and 16 and after that the world gets them. It might be in your relationship, you're not married yet, and it might be that he wants to do something or she wants to do something that you know is not moral, not right before God. And you want to establish that relationship with God right from the beginning. And it's in God and it's centred upon God and you have every intention of carrying it through. The moment you set your principles and you're going to live for God, you're going to discover all hell will be let loose against you. Is anybody identifying with this? Maybe in your workplace. The boss expects you to cook the books. Maybe he expects you to do things, be involved in things that you know is not right before God. And it's not infringing his conscience because he's got no conscience, but it's re- certainly hurting your conscience. And you're taking a stand and you're saying, I'm going to live for God in this new workplace. Maybe some of you are going to university in the, later on in the year. Nail your colors to the mast. But I'm going to tell you, the moment you say, I'm going to live for God, I'm not going to allow circumstances to dictate who I am or what kind of a Christian I am. I'm going to nail my colours to the mast. You're going to discover that it's going to be the hardest thing to do is to keep and follow through with that vow that you've made to the Lord. Just beside our house on the Circle Road in Newton Abbey, there's a new garden, a new set of four houses, sorry, three houses being built. And just there on Thursday and Friday they were putting in the new gardens. It looks lovely. There's new plants. There's new green area. There's new shrubs been built. They've put down that uh, barrier where they put the where it'll be stones or where it'll be chippings or whatever they'll put on it. And it looks gorgeous. I'd say it's one thing to plant it, it's another thing to keep it. Is that right? It's one thing to make a vow. Another thing to carry it through. I was asking some of the men, I was saying to Brian there and a few others, I said, uh, I, I was saved before he was even born, which makes me an awful old man. And I was trying to remember who was the pastor here when I got saved. And I can remember, far back as Bill Dunn, but I couldn't remember who was the man before me. Some of the old hands, you don't know mind me calling you an old hand. You're no? an old hand anyway. Just look at him, he's old. And, and, and George Wallace. Does anybody here remember George Wallace, pastor of the church? He asked me to to give him his testimony here in the church on the Glen Road many, many times. And I kept saying, no, no, no. And uh, then eventually he said to me one time, he says, will you give your testimony? I says, I was full of nerves at those days. And I says, no. He says, have you got your testimony at all, have you? Well, I want to tell you, it's one thing to make a testimony in a profession. It's another thing to carry it through. Any, it's not, it matters not how you start. It matters how you finish. Finish. Maybe you, just maybe, you have set your sights as a flint. You're going to. I hope I'm touching your heart today because I need to touch your heart. Maybe you have set your sights and you're going to live for God. And you, whatever is in your chat, we are we a are social media group. Where, where the bullies are trying to bully you over Maybe you've shared a photograph of someone, or maybe you've shared some information about your life with someone, and, and, and you, you're going to find it extremely difficult to extricate yourself from that circle of friends. But you want to stand for God. I want to tell you, it's only the strong stand. Any old fool can go with the flow. There's come a rush of blood or a, a word from God. And you're saying, I'm going to live for him. That's Peter. A few very, very quick things. You don't have to go home to two o'clock, sure you don't. That's right. That will not happen. By the way, notice the first thing then. The peril that Peter faced, verse 24. The ship was now in the midst of the sea, and it was tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. I want to tell you the disciples were in this boat at Jesus' direction. He told them to get into the boat. What's after happening? Well, if you went back to the end, the beginning of the chapter, they're after feeding the 5,000. We'll refer to that in a few moments, in a bit an hour or two. And and they're they're after feeding the five thousand and And there's there's a kind of popularity growing for Jesus in this group. And all of a sudden, after the 5,000, which means about 15,000 people with a conservative estimate, he sends the disciples into the boat across the sea. He was going to dismiss the crowds. St- stitched and starchy and whatever else or oh, maybe that gives me more freedom with my hands anyway uh, he's, he's dispar- he goes up into the mountain and he prays so these disciples are in the boat at Jesus' request I want to tell you not always or not, or, or, not only whenever you obey the Lord will you have it all nice and easy It was because they were obeying the Lord that they found themselves in this situation. Difficulty. Try asking Stephen who stood for the Lord who got stoned to death. He'll tell you why he was stoned to death. Try talking to John who was marooned on the island of Patmos. And he'll tell you why he was marooned for the witness and testimony of Jesus Christ. On Elijah, who stood against the old Jezebel on Mount Carmel, and and as a consequence of her threat on his life, he fled into the wilderness and he became extremely depressed. Do you know that there are some people who think that because you're a Christian, you should never be depressed? Well, you need to have a weak conversation with Elijah. We still live in a fallen world, in a fallen body, and not until we get to glory will we know freedom from all of these things. Notice the intensity of the storm. It was tossed. It means vexing, harassed, and trauma. It was contrary. It means an adverse, hostile, or opposition. Everything was going against them. You know, it is very, very easy to think, Lord, now that I've obeyed you, everything should fall easily to me. But the the contrary is true. Lord, now I've stepped out to you, now I'm facing the battle. It was intense. And there might be those here today and you're right in the midst of the storm and you're facing extreme opposition to your stance and your stand for the Lord. Maybe you've been shoved and pushed around from pillar to post. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, whatever you think about about demonic activity, don't end, underestimate the fact that you've got an unseen enemy. And he certainly doesn't want you to succeed because he, God, has called you out of darkness into light, so that we may be to the praise of his glory. And if the devil can wipe the smile of your face, then he's making progress in his evil attempts to destroy the testimony of Jesus Christ. The Intensity of the storm. Maybe you thought that whenever you stepped out for him that it was going to be easy and you discovered that it's become a fight for your spiritual life. Don't know many times I've been there but I've been there many times. It's not easy maintaining a stand for God when all the fingers of the world are pointing at you seeking to accuse you. And I'll tell you one thing. It will be rewarding on that great day. I want you to notice something in Luke chapter 6 if you've got your Bibles with you or your phones or your mobile phones or your tablets or whatever it is that you carry nowadays. But Luke chapter 6 just very quickly just to prove this wee point. Luke chapter 6 and verse 22. Jesus didn't tell us it would be easy. Jesus told us it would be difficult. He said, blessed are you. Luke chapter 6 and verse 22. When men shall hate you, when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and speak evil of your name, for the Son of Man's sake. He didn't say it might happen, he didn't say it was a possibility. He said it will happen. And what I'm getting at here, dear brothers and sisters, is whenever we step out for the Lord, we will most definitely enter into a storm because the enemy does not want you living for God. Notice not only the intensity of the storm, but notice the isolation of the ship. The Bible says that they'd rowed for three to four hours. Now I'm not a man of the ships or boats the only boat that I could row is a wee dingy in Newcastle when you used to go once every five years. You know the wee storks or those, those things that they have going that's the most thing that I've ever rowed. But I don't know how long these shipmen these sailors, these fishermen how long or how far they'd gone but certainly far enough to not think about turning back. Not think about turning back. That tells me that the Lord was in control of this. Just far enough into the sea to not even think. It was as far to the other side as it was back ways. The isolation of the ship. Do you know what I discovered, men and women, brothers and sisters, or whatever way you would determine yourself? I've discovered that oftentimes God brings us into a place that we think that we're the only ones that are standing on the ground that we're standing on that everybody else is capitulating that's throwing in the towel and you know what he's doing here because these are the men listen to this you see you might be in the midst of the storm I don't know your circumstances so therefore I'm wholly relying upon the Holy Spirit to, rep- uh, to apply this, this truth to your heart but you could be in the very midst of the storm but here's the thing Here's the, here here's the uh, the crux of the thing. You see this crowd of people that's in front of me today. God wants to use you to change your community. You getting me now? God wants to use. Now look at yourself. Point that person beside. Poke them on the on the shoulder. The poke them in. God wants to use you. Don't be hitting them so hard now. you can break his ribs. God wants to use that person you're after poking, or the person that's after poking you. God wants you to change your community so is he going to take you to Bible college is he going to take you to some school around the corner do you remember the program I'm showing me age no God is going to bring you into circumstances because these men one day Jesus is not going to be beside them no, I did I will mention later on that he said, I will never leave you, but he is schooling them for the art of trusting him when everything seems to be against them. Do you know what I'm saying here? Well, I hope you know what I'm saying. Turn with me to Judges chapter three, then. Judges chapter three, verses one and two. Judges chapter three, verses one and two. These men, in the eyes of the followers, the de- uh, of those who fed, uh, those 15,000 people that they're after fed, this is the A-team of the God Squad. This is who they are. These are men, one can say, I was one of those who gathered one of those 12 baskets. I was one of the people that handed out the bread. I was there when the miracle happened. And you can see these men, they're beginning now to maybe get a bit of an opinion of themselves and they need to be brought down to earth. And so Jesus gives them enough time to feel as if they're the only ones that's standing for Jesus. You see, whenever you feel that you're alone, the real you comes out. And those who have got a fatalist kind of an attitude, they want to throw in the towel. We're beat. God's not on the throne anymore. I was blessed with a lovely wee verse till the other morning. I'm blessed with many verses verse, but this one, I, I use the New Living Translation from a quiet time. I love it. It speaks to my heart and talks the language that I use. But it says there in the last verse of Philippians chapter three that God was going to take all circumstances under control and the same power that he would bring the dead back to life again is that same power that he'll use to control things that's happening in your life. Do you know what that said to me? When everything seems dead, when everything seems done, when everything seems damned, and I use that word under license, when everything seems as if it's impossible to to overcome, he's going to use the same power that he's going to use on the resurrection day to resurrect the life of a fellowship, of a church, of an individual who feels that they're done and down and damned. Do you get this? I'm not looking for some little nice fluffy little spiritual experience. I'm looking for revival power under the same power of resurrection. Speak with a voice that wakes the dead and make the people hear. You get this. Look at Joshua, sorry, Judges. Judges chapter 3. Now these are the nations, look at, which the Lord left. What does it say in yours? These are the nations that the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. Next verse. Verse 2. And he did this only. Read it, church. Read it out to me. You can read it from the PowerPoint here. He did this to do what? Teach them warfare to the descendants of who? Us. Who had not previously battle experience. That's God's school. It's God's school. And you wonder why all these boys are coming up with their various opinions and ideas of how men, how Christians should live. And he's wondering now, are we going to uh, capitulate? He's wondering, are we going to compromise? Are we going to throw in the towel? I mean, we're all looking for a spiritual heaven here on earth, aren't we? You're not going to get it. God is here teaching these people how to war. These disciples are going to be the men which will be recorded who turned the world upside down. They brought the gospel. Peter in his first sermon after the resurrection there were 3,000 souls saved. Hallelujah! Listen, this is a man who previously denied the Lord in oaths and curses. By the way, you know, know what Pentecost is, don't you, William in the Nealman Church? I hope you know what it is. But well, do you know at the historical day of Pentecost, there were 3,000 souls put to death? That's whenever Moses came down from the mountain, they built the golden calf. And he told the Levites to go and out through the people with their swords to kill those who would idolized this golden calf. And it says, and that's the 50 days after they came out of Egypt. And it says there were 3,000 souls put to death. The letter killeth, the law killeth. It's the Spirit that bringeth life. Come into the New Testament day of Pentecost, and souls are living. Under the law and over legalism, people die. But in the life of the Spirit, people come to life again. Isn't that true? I don't think I need to come to Nealham Church to teach you this, do I? He's teaching these men you can't exist, you can't accomplish anything apart from me. He's wanting them to see what's in their lives, what's in their hearts. He wants to see how deep down their roots go. The isolation of the ship. Notice the intervention of the saviour. You know, there is no struggle or battle that you're in, but what... Uh, But God wants you to go through it with you. The Lord was very aware of what was happening. It was they who were not aware that he was with them. There's an old song. I know most of you won't remember it. But it's a good old song. You'll hear it from the Githers. Standing somewhere in the distance, you'll find Jesus. I need thee, oh I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh bless me now my saviour, I come to thee. Their way was one of panic, fear, and fatalism. But the Lord was standing, conscious and aware of exactly where they were and the situation in which they found themselves. I want to minister to your hearts today, God knows all about where you are. Some of you may be facing health issues. Some of you may be facing opposition at home. Some of you might even feel as if you're the only ones that are standing in your location. He knows where you are. My uh, nephew, Esther's nephew, my nephew as well, through marriage of course, Andrew and, and Ruth were up in our house not that very long ago. The wee girl called Rebecca. not that really right, nice make come here tonight? Rebecca. She sings all the time. What is this is she She's three years of age. I was one day where me and Andrew were going down to the Lock Shore to the play area. They came to visit us. And we. Rebecca was in the back seat, in the car seat, and she was singing, Blessed Assurance. Ye. I said, wee child singing Blessed Assurance. A great song. But she's always singing. If it's not children's courses, it's hymns. If it's not the new hymns, it's the old. She sings all the time. Now, I happen to be in my little study. I have a wee chair in the study where I seek the Lord. That's my wee corner. Nobody invades that area. And the door's closed and nobody can see me in there. But she was in the hallway. I could hear her playing away with her two wee teddies that Esther has in the bottom of the stairs. And she was play, singing away and playing away. And she was talking to herself. And she was in the, having the best of time just singing. She didn't know that I was in the next room. But I was very conscious and aware of everything she was doing. Get the point here? Don't let circumstances determine what you think about God. And don't let your circumstances say to you that he's forgotten that you exist. Interesting, Angela, you were singing there about goodness, the goodness of God. There was a man who used to come to one of the churches I was pastoring, and he says, the sunshine in the day isn't God good, and I said them back. The sunshine whether the, the, the God's good with the sunshine or not, not right. God is good all the time, even if, even when I've got ingrown toenails and a sore back and a pain in the head and a pain in the neck, like I am to you or whatever. God is good all the time, and sometimes He's just making us appreciate. Sometimes whenever people are going through difficult times, I said to you, God is just making you more, uh, giving you more appetite for heaven. A greater desire for heaven. Because sometimes we're too well attached to this earth to want to leave it. Isn't that right? And God is just making... Listen, hold, listen. can I say to you something? Hold on loosely to the things of this world because Jesus is coming back soon. He is. I knew a man, a famous rock star, and he got buried with his best guitars. What a waste. Did you hear about the woman... The man, who wanted to be buried with all his wealth. Did you hear this one, did you? He wanted all his money. Threw into the coffin with him, threw into the ground. And of course, the wife objected. So she threw a check into the, into the coffin, and she kept the cash. <laughs> and the undertaker said to her, the undertaker, he says, he says, Are you sure you're doing the right thing? Well, if he complains, so let him come back and tell me. <laughs> you know, we, we hold on. So as if our life... Consists and it depends upon the things. There's nothing outside his power, and everything I have I owe to him. Intervention of the Saviour. I will never leave thee nor forsake. He came in a way that they could never have imagined. And it might be that he's coming to you in a way that you would never have thought. Be speaking to you through situations. He's not bound by any other human logic as to how he may be speaking into your experience. The story of Moses, when he was in the backside of the desert for 40 years, he saw this bush that was burning. That was not an uncommon sight. Burning bushes were a regularity in those days when everything was dry and arid. What attracted him to that burning bush was the fact that it was burning, but it wasn't consumed. And he wanted to go and see that great thing. And whenever God got him to the burning bush, he realized he was on hallowed, holy ground. And when God got Moses to where he wanted him, it was then he could speak to him. God got you to where he wants you. Where You have nowhere to turn. You can't go back because you made your colors to the mast. You can't, go, you can't seem to get any forward because it just seems as this sea. So you're going to cast yourself then to the mercy of the storm. Absolutely not. Do what Peter did. Notice not only the, the peril that Peter was in, but notice very quickly the progress that Peter made. And we'll finish with this. You'll find it in verse 28 and verse 29. He stepped out of the boat. Although the storm raged around him, Peter made significant progress in dealing with the storm. Look at Peter's faith. See, we're we're often critical of Peter, aren't we? But in reality, he was the only one that had courage enough to step out of the boat. He was the only one that was willing to go against the flow. He He realized it was safer in the storm with Jesus than in the, being in the boat with the disciples and I'm sure you've heard that a time or two can I apply that to you very quickly you can wrestle all you like for your comfort and you can compromise all you like and you can be a non-confrontationalist you know what that is I don't know but it sounds good And you can fight for all the shallow waters and the calm waters for life and and, and let everybody face the battle. But watch out for the sharks of comfort, luxury, deadness and lethargy. They most definitely will come along and eat you up. I said this in my church. They don't understand sometimes what I mean by this. I would rather try and fail a thousand times than never try at all. I am not so full of pride that I'm afraid of what people will think if I attempted something and it didn't work out. Peter's faith. We can't comprehend the faith that it took for Peter. We can begin to imagine Here's someone stepping out onto something that no one else has ever done before. It's not written down, it's not documented, but he does something that he's never witnessed anyone else do before. I can't swim. It's taken two men. They, they give me 30 attempts to t- teach me in 30 lessons, and I'm still. I can't get my feet to correlate with my hands. My brain won't tell my feet what to do. I'm a bit thick that way. I don't believe that, by the way. And if I fell into the sea, it wouldn't matter what was swimming by me, I would latch onto it, even if it was a white shark. Some people are hanging on to the the beggarly things of this world and the, the, the trade and feel options and directions of this world. Some people are stuck in a... Dead relationship and a corrupt, a, a destructive relationship, because they're afraid to step out of, the, out of the boat and trust God. Peter's faith. I want you to know this. It's not the amount of faith or the measure. It's faith in God. Not what He might do. But what he will do. Peter's faith. Peter's focus. Verse 29. Peter had nothing to stand upon but the word of God. You notice that? Jesus says, come out of the boat. And he stepped out of the boat. That's just the word of God. Here's our map book, brothers and sisters, isn't it? What it says. I am. I am. What it says, I can become. Listen, you know what you are. You are a construction site. Do you know that? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Paul says, I labor as a woman in travail to Christ be formed in you. Well, listen, the last time I was in the maternity ward was our son Gregory's been born. And it wasn't the easiest thing I've ever seen done. And, and I have quite a number of young converts. I get up my nose sometime. Because um, they're here today and gone tomorrow and up and down and turn around. Whatever, and, and, and uh, you get such a passion for people you understand what I'm saying and, and, and those of you who have, who have a hunger to see God work in your church and in your community you get a hunger to see people stand for God and experience all that God has for them and they said to me but pastor you can't live our experience and I said no I can't and you can't walk the walk for us and I said no I can't but I know this I'm to agonise like Paul did and I'm to labour like Paul did. But that's the word that we build our lives on, folks. That's the word. Peter's focus was on, he told me to get out of the boat. Can you imagine how stupid it must have seemed? Where are you going, Peter? I'm going to, talk, walk, I'm going to walk over to the Lord here. But Peter, that's water. Ah, he says, I know that. It made it look stupid and foolish. And it doesn't matter how stupid and foolish it looks. If God says it, do it. you hearing me? Peter's focus. You know, Notice Peter's failure. As soon as he took his eyes off the Lord, he began to sink. He allowed the circumstances to overwhelm his focus on who Jesus was. And that's the moment he began to sink. As long as we are following the will of the Lord, I often say this, we're immortal until God's done with us. Until he's done with us. Anyone can make a profession. Anyone can sing. I surrender all. Anyone can make a vow to the Lord. It's quite another to face the fight and see it through. Do I need to apply this to you today? Maybe there's someone here today in you field. Field. You started out nice and bright, but circumstances overwhelmed you. You got your eyes off the Lord. in this very, very quickly, look at verse thirty. Peter prayed. In the moment of despair, Peter prayed three short words: "Lord, save." Me. It's a prayer of recognition, Lord save me. Lord, I'm sinking here. I'm 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 about to be overwhelmed with this situation, but in the midst of the storm, He recognizes that Jesus is mightier than the storm. He recognized that he is the mighty conqueror since he rent the veil in two. We must see, listen brothers and sisters, no matter what happens in life, no matter what happens in your home or in your community or in this country, no matter what happens in this church, always remember this, that he is sovereign he is in absolute control we did a two year study in the book of the Revelation I think I mentioned that to you the last time I was here and one of the things that I discovered as we studied through the book of the Revelation God's in control the book of the Revelation is the only history that has not happened yet that's all it is he states it as it's going to happen do you think it's not going to happen do you think that the saints aren't going to be raptured Do you think that the, and by the way, if you study the book of the Revelation, you're going to discover a number of things. That when God says, if people say we want blood, God says I'll give you plenty of blood. And so the seas and the rivers are turned into blood. God says if you want death, I'll give you loads of death. Third of the nation are are, are put to death in one day. And on and on it goes. God says if you want violence, God says if you want immorality, I'll give you loads of immorality. And look at the day we're in. He's a mighty conqueror. He's the one that took on the hordes of hell and won. Can I say this to you, young person? You are living in a different day than I lived in. You are. You've got You've got all the things that you want on that phone. You can go into pornographic sites. You can go into all sorts of, uh, of idolatry and all sorts of 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 filth and dirt and you carry it around in your pocket and you bring it with you to school and you go up into your bedroom but you've made a stand can I say to you you can trust God to give you strength over the sins that are polluting your soul you can he's the mighty conqueror perhaps there's a habit or perhaps there's some addiction that is taken, and, and, and you were born with it perhaps. Maybe your mother or father was a cocaine addict, and I have people like that in church, and, and you were born with an addiction, and you know nothing other than what, what addictions bring. What I want to tell you, he can break the power of canceled sin and set the prisoners free. And Peter realized I see the one who, has, who, who, who is Lord over nature, over gravity, over the things of, of the world. That's who we need to recognize. There's a prayer of submission. Lord, if you don't do it, it's not going to happen. As long as you're trying to handle it, it'll beat you. It's a prayer of expectation. Peter expected the Lord to do something about it. And of course, Peter took him by the, the Lord took Peter by the hand, and then he took him and placed him back into the boat and the disciples had a different picture of who Jesus is from that moment on. We've never seen it in this fashion before in another place, it says. What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the waves obey him? Is that the Jesus you follow? Is your ship sinking? Have you got that sinking feeling? I want to tell you, you can look to the one who was lord over sinking ships.